Listener-supported KFUO invites you to listen live to our annual share It's your opportunity to show your support to KFUO. If you can't join us live, please prayerfully consider supporting us by calling 314-996-1518 and asking about our giving levels. You can also click the Give Now button on our webpage. share 2017, April 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Good afternoon and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. One such attack strikes close to home for the LCMS, One of our congregations, Trinity Lutheran Church in Columbia, Missouri, runs a child care center at a playground. Now, the state's Department of Natural Resources has a program that's open to nonprofit organizations that provides grants to help reimburse rubberizing play areas with materials made from recycled tires. Trinity applied and was listed fifth out of 44 applications, but... Their application was rejected. The Department of Natural Resources ruled that because the playground is owned by a church, it's ineligible for any public funding. Now, despite the public, uh, this is despite the, the playground being open for all neighborhood children. Among the constitutional issues facing the Supreme Court now in this decision are free exercise of religion under the First Amendment and equal protection under the 14th Amendment. And oral arguments were held this morning before the Supreme Court concerning this very issue. The uh, uh, argument for the church was held by the Alliance for Defending Freedom. With me today is Chris, is Christiana Holcomb, legal counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, and we'll be discussing this in depth. Christiana, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for the work. I've been on the uh, net most of the day watching your uh, your live feeds and updates on your on your web page and on your Facebook page, and uh, of course, uh, Mr. Uh, David Cortman, who was the uh, lead counsel and actually made the uh, the presentation before the Supreme Court, was one of your guests. And this is a fascinating case in so many ways. Uh, one of the things that uh, struck me was that this is a, a part of the uh, part of the uh, the Blaine Amendment situation that is prevalent in something like 38 states. So this is something that's going to resonate not just with the state of Missouri but all the way through these other states as well. The idea being equal protection and the freedom to practice one's religion without being, without facing a hostile state. It's one thing for a, a state to be neutral toward religion. It's something else for it to be hostile. How do these, uh, are, how did the arguments go this morning? Well, the arguments went extremely well. Um, obviously, members of the court asked very tough questions of both sides, but uh, frankly, we feel like the state of Missouri had the tougher road to hoe, um, but went very, very well, could not have been more pleased with how things went. Um, it seemed that the entire court was, was very concerned by this religious discrimination question. In fact, they repeatedly uh, asked the other side about this religious status discrimination and seemed very troubled by the fact that the state of of Missouri was overtly discriminating against religious groups simply based on their religious status and excluding them from this neutral, generally available government benefit. So we, we came out very encouraged and very optimistic. Well, one thing I think was uh, has to be brought out that really hasn't, I don't think, much in past reporting, 
that was so unusual about the case is that when this program was established that allowed uh, recycled tires to be used for rubberizing uh, playgrounds, this was open to all nonprofit organizations. Now, the church was concerned because there was, of course, this Blaine Amendment, and they called the uh, Department of Natural Resources and asked if they should apply or not, and were told that they should. They were actually <laughs> invited to apply. That's exactly right. No, it's such a great point, and you're right. It's commonly overlooked. You know, a lot of people have framed the church as if they were trying to basically cause a problem and filed for something that they, and applied for a, a program that they knew they didn't qualify for, but that simply isn't the case. As you mentioned, they did their due diligence. They were aware the program existed. They wanted to be able to participate so that the kiddos that played on their preschool playground could have a safe environment on which to play, and they called. They did their due diligence and were invited to go ahead and apply. And frankly, <laughs> they were graded on 16 different criteria, neutral religion-blind criteria, and they scored extremely well. They were within the top five out of 44 applicants. So, so yeah, you're exactly right. They did just what the director of the Department of Natural Resources instructed them to do. And after it simply said, yeah, well, you qualify, but you're religious, so we're going to disqualify you. That's exactly right. So the state came back to them and said, yeah, you scored extremely well, top five. However, because you happen to be owned by a church, didn't have anything to do with any religious activity occurring on the playground. Look, what do, what do kids do on the playground but p simply play, swing and slide? Uh, the state of Missouri came back and said, simply because of who you are owned by, you are therefore disqualified. And, and again, that's just blatant religious status discrimination and something that our First Amendment cannot tolerate. Well, something Mr. Cortland brought, uh, Cortman brought up was if that by taking the argument that the state used that, well, gee, we can't use public resources here for religious, for religious organizations. What about such things as fire and police protection? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they really, when you think through the practical, logical implications of the state of Missouri's argument, you know, what is then to stop the state from saying, oh, the church is on fire, but we're going to deny you fire protection because that would be giving quote-unquote aid to a religious organization. Or what about declining to repair sidewalks and roads in front of you know, Jewish schools or mosques? Those are all generally available public benefits that should be distributed to individuals throughout the state with a, really a blind eye to religion. They have nothing to do with advancing religion whatsoever. And, and frankly, that was something that was deeply troubling to the justices during oral argument today. Day. Uh, the state of Missouri was repeatedly asked about hypotheticals involving those, you know, health and safety things like fire and police protection. And, and the state of Missouri really just didn't have a good, good response for that, for differentiating between uh, denying Trinity Lutheran access to this neutral government program for scrap tires on the one hand, and then potentially later denying some church access to these very essential public benefits like fire and police protection. Well, one other argument I heard that I thought was very uh, very well answered was uh, one argument is used well you know these funds are fungible therefore they could be interpreted be indirectly uh, uh, indirectly helping religion however this was actually reimbursement or at least partial <laughs> reimbursement for funds exactly. already spent by the church that's exactly we are not talking about blank checks 
to churches here. What we're talking about are organizations, religious nonprofits, who first have to pay for these scrap tires themselves, have them installed, have them then inspected by the state of Missouri, produce receipts proving their purchases, and then if they happen to win this reimbursement grant, they get a partial, not a full, but a partial reimbursement grant for the very expensive purchase of those scrap tires. So, yeah, it's exactly right. It's not like we're saying, oh, here's a blank check to the church. You can use it to buy Bibles. You can use it to, you know, train your clergy members. No, we're talking about reimbursement for scrap tires so little children have a safe place to play. Well, another argument that Mr. Uh, Cortman made was, uh, for example, uh, Christian uh, veterans are entitled to the GI Bill. And certainly they can take those GI Bills and go to religious institutions for the, for the studies. No, that's, again, that's exactly right. So, and if they can take uh, funds from this GI Bill and use it to study theological training, um, then, then how in the world do we have any sort of establishment clause concerns, which is essentially what the, the state of Missouri is arguing um, in its constitution, this, these heightened establishment clause concerns. You know, how, how could it be a concern when we're talking, again, simply about tire scraps for preschool playgrounds? Um, it, it simply really kind of boggles the mind. And again, the justices just were not buying the state of Missouri's arguments. Well, one of the uh, one of the things I'd like to explore a little bit is the history of the Blaine Amendment. As I mentioned, there are like 38 states, I believe, have such Blaine Amendments within their state constitutions. Now, this was actually established in the last century, actually two centuries ago, uh, in the 19th century, as being mm-hmm. as an anti-Catholic measure. It was specifically hostile to a religion. That's exactly right. Uh, in fact, Justice Sotomayor raised the Blaine Amendments during oral argument, and she mentioned them as, as uh, you know, basically being this historic precedent that we want to revere and so on and so forth. And Justice Alito uh, asked a question shortly thereafter, mentioning the fact that they have this this really dark history of being rooted in anti-Catholic bigotry. Um, it's really a stain uh, from the early mid to eight, mid 1800s. Yeah. So the Blaine Amendments were named for James Blaine, which is a former. U.S. Uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, who had, a, I think, a failed candidacy for president. But he was trying to prevent these Catholic schools from popping up all over the country. And so he proposed a United States constitutional amendment that would prohibit any uh, state money, state dollars, from going to fund a religious or what they call sectarian schools. And while the constitutional amendment failed to the United States Constitution, as you mentioned, over 30 states did go ahead and pass those Blaine-like amendments in their state constitutions. But what's so interesting, though, is that while they may categorically be called a Blaine Amendment, some are interpreted extremely restrictively. And I would, I would place Missouri's Blaine Amendment in that category. Um, the Blaine Amendments in and of themselves, while they have a very nefarious and dark history, um, may not necessarily violate the United States Constitution, except when, like Missouri's, they go so far as to violate the free exercise of religion by discriminating against religious groups simply based on status and violating the Equal Protection Clause as well. Again, discriminating against a group simply because of its religious status. Could we discuss the implication of the 14th Amendment here, where we do have this, this equal protection clause? And I think this is one of the areas that has been argued that have been totally violated by this Blaine Amendment in Missouri. 
No, that's exactly right. So the state of Missouri didn't have to establish a program for scrap tire reimbursement grants. They didn't have to, but they did. And when they did, they selected a category of organizations that were qualified to apply. And that was namely nonprofit preschools. And so whenever the government establishes categories like this, you can't exclude certain uh, protect individuals or organizations of protected status. And that includes protected status based on religion. That receives heightened scrutiny under the first under the United States Constitution. And so what Missouri has done here is discriminated against an entire category of religious no, of nonprofits, namely religious nonprofits, simply based on, on who they are. And that's something that the Equal Protection Clause simply can't stand for. And I think there's a big difference between neutrality on the part of government toward religion and active hostility, which is, I think, what we're seeing here. That's exactly right. I mean, we want our governments uh, in these types of state programs to be basically religion blind. And frankly, that's what the Scrap Tire Reimbursement Program was. It has 16 neutral religion blind criteria that if you qualified, great. And if you, you know, if you didn't, you know, so be it. But, you know, religion just should not even be a factor in these types of programs, just as it shouldn't be a factor in whether or not you can call the police to come and protect you or the fire department to come and, and put out a blaze in your home. Um, religion just is simply an inappropriate criteria for this type of program. Could you give us some background history of how this case has progressed all the way up to the Supreme Court? Absolutely. So Trinity Lutheran Church, as I mentioned, applied for the scrap tire reimbursement grant in 2012. And as we already talked about, they scored extremely well, would have received it, but for the fact that they happened to be owned by a religious organization. So Alliance Defending Freedom uh, filed a lawsuit on behalf of Trinity Lutheran Church. Western District of Missouri, um, and the state of Missouri came back and argued that the court should dismiss our case based on the Missouri Constitution, and, and unfortunately that is what the district judge did. So we then appealed it to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and a divided panel affirmed the district court's dismissal of the case. Um, and so we, we did ask for rehearing on Bonk, and we're just, I think, one vote shy of actually getting that, which would have been uh, a hearing by, the entire, uh, by a panel of the entire Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. So our, our next appeal was just requesting the United States Supreme Court to hear the case. And um, we, it's our understanding that Trinity Lutheran Church's grant of certiorari was one of the very last grants that Justice Scalia voted on before he died. I believe it, the grant occurred in January um, prior to his untimely death in February of last year. So anyway, uh, we were... <laughs> The Supreme Court has held over Trinity Lutheran, we believe, I mean, this is all pure speculation, um, waiting for the ninth justice to be seated um, after Justice Scalia's untimely death. And so, yeah, we're just extremely grateful that Justice Gorsuch has been seated now, and we have the opportunity for Alliance Defending Freedom Legal Counsel David Cortman to make an argument this morning before a full bench of the United States Supreme Court. Could you give us a little bit of the, actually how the arguments went. What was the procedure once the court was in session? Sure. So once the court was in session, um, they... It was an opinion day, so opinions came down. Um, we had attorneys who were admitted to the Supreme Court bar, were waived in, um, so some preliminary administrative matters. But then essentially the Chief Justice calls the case to order, David Cortman, representing Trinity Lutheran, um, who is the appellant. So we, he was the first to present his argument. And he probably spoke for no more than about 60 seconds before the first question was asked. 
and thereafter it's approximately 30 minutes of just back and forth discussion with the, the various justices, you know, a number of them uh, communicating to counsel, but trying to inform, you know, the other members of the bench about their various positions. And so it's, a, it's an active volley, an active uh, communication back and forth between counsel and those on the bench. So as soon as David Cortman fulfilled his time, then the advocate for the state of Missouri stepped up to the podium and and as I mentioned earlier, I think he really had a very challenging position to take, uh, given the fact that the governor of Missouri has actually reversed the policy of the Department of Natural Resources. And so yeah, he's in the very awkward position of advocating for a policy that has since been reversed by the new administration there in Missouri. But anyway, uh, he had a, some very intense questioning uh, from the bench, as I mentioned uh, a lot of concern related to the religious hostility uh, that's demonstrated by the the application of this particular program and the denial and exclusion of Trinity Lutheran. Um, and then David Cortman is able to get up for just a couple minutes of rebuttal. The appellant always gets, if he's able to reserve time, will have a few minutes at the end just to answer um, any, any points that, or make any points that he would like to after the counsel for the other side has presented their position. And at the conclusion, counsel sits down, the Chief Justice says it's been submitted, and at that point, uh, we, we exit left, <laughs> exit, exit the courtroom. So now we're just in a waiting pattern. Um, the great thing about having oral arguments this late in April is we shouldn't have to wait terribly long for a decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, we're optimistic that hopefully by the end of June, we will we'll have a final ruling. What were some of the questions that were given to the uh, to the attorney for Missouri? You said uh, uh, about arguing in about the hostility to religion, and how did he respond to that? You know, as I recall, he really just didn't have a good answer. Uh, what he was trying to do was make a distinction between programs that are available to the entire population versus programs that may be more selective. And, uh, but he really didn't have a, a bright line test for distinguishing between the two, and that was very troubling to the bench. Um, they, they, at one point, um, the counsel for the other side basically admitted that the justices were not buying his arguments and, and so on and so forth. So, But yeah, again, I just would say that the overarching concern of the justices related to the religious status discrimination and, and that violation of the free exercise clause. Well, an argument that was made by the ACLU was that the, the case should not be heard. The reason for that being that the governor has reversed his uh, the position mm-hmm. and uh, the AG, of course, had um, had campaigned against the, uh, the this case and right. was, was just recently elected, so he recused himself, and then the entire office of the attorney general recused himself. So the <laughs> so so the attorney for the state of Missouri was actually solicitor general under the prior administration of uh, Governor Jay Nixon, who was a Democrat. Uh, That's correct. You know, I, I certainly did not envy Mr. Layton his position. You know, the state of Missouri, as you mentioned, um, the governor having just recently at the eleventh hour changed his position. But then on the other hand, you have the ACLU that's really kind of uh, starting to try to nip at the heels, um, threatening that if the state of Missouri is allowed to change its position and permit religious organizations equal treatment in the scrap tire program, the ACLU is threatening to sue the state of Missouri. So, you know, it's really important that the United States Supreme Court go ahead and address this issue because if they don't, 
looks like we're going to be back in the court systems again, <laughs> working our way up. And, and that seems really a waste of, of judicial resources. That's incredible. And, and also the fact that the Blaine Amendment is in, or some version of it is in effect in so many states. There really needs to be some kind of a federal guideline saying this is allowed, this isn't allowed. That's exactly right. And, you know, the reality is we won't know until we read the opinion how narrowly or how broadly the justices will rule. It's quite possible that uh, they could rule on narrow grounds that are simply applicable to Missouri's state constitution. But conversely, it's also quite possible that there may be um, some guidance in there as it relates to these other state constitutions and Blaine amendments. Um, <clears throat> we're aware of dicta. Um, justices have mentioned in some of their prior opinions some d- grave concerns about these Blaine amendments. So it seems that there may be some interest on the part of the court in addressing that issue. But again, it's just it's anyone's speculation at this point until we actually have a an opinion in hand. Of course, as you mentioned, the late Justice Scalia was the one who granted cert on this thing. Uh, but it is extremely rare in my experience that the Supreme Court will grant cert to a case where the Court of Appeals has not had an en blanc hearing. I don't know if I would go quite that far, um, but but certainly, <laughs> if you're if you're looking to impress your friends at dinner, um, certainly the Supreme Court tends to perhaps at a, a ratio of about two to one to reverse um, the lower court opinion below. That tends to be the reason that they they take on those cases. So. You know, if you want to, like I said, impress your spouse, impress your friends at dinner, and, uh, you know, hypothesize about the potential outcomes of future Supreme Court cases, you're in a pretty good betting situation if you bet that the Supreme Court might reverse (laughs) the lower court. It's it's not guaranteed, but (laughs) it certainly uh, tends to happen more often than not. Well, it was just, you know, because the Supreme Court really rejects nearly all of the appeals that are made to it. It it will not grant cert. This one obviously caught the eye, and uh, I'm sure Justice Scalia discussed this issue with other justices saying this is something that we need to determine, you know, especially since that it had been up, the uh, state's ruling had been upheld by the district court and then by the circuit court. Mm -hmm. So I I think there's some very basic issues here that uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court thinks needs to be settled. No, that's exactly right. I mean, as you mentioned, they are a court of last resort. They have discretion whether or not to take these cases. And I think they deny approximately 99% of the appeals that they receive just due to volume uh, alone. But yes, certainly, they're... The, in order for a petition to be granted, I believe it requires four votes. Um, so there certainly were enough votes to uh, to take it up. They were interested in the case, want to want to do something with it. So we're extremely grateful that they did. Um, the Eighth Circuit opinion uh, was was extremely disappointing. I guess I'll just leave it at that. And we don't think it was the right decision, um, certainly. So we're optimistic, just based on questioning and just the overall procedure of the oral argument this morning, that. Um, we should have a very favorable outcome for Trinity Lutheran. This is probably the first major case before the Supreme Court that Justice uh, uh, Gorsuch is hearing. What was his demeanor during the hearing? <laughs> so you're correct. I, I believe the first case that he heard was Monday of this week, and then he was on the, on the bench. They had oral argument again on Tuesday. So fascinating. My understand from various news reports was that Monday and Tuesday he really uh, came out of the gate swinging and asked some very intense uh, lines of questioning. Today he was a little bit more reserved. Uh, he didn't ask David Cortman, uh, the ADF attorney, any questions during Dave's uh, principal argument to the court. He did have some pretty tough questions for 
for the state of Missouri. Um, again, just not buying this whole, well, how, where do you draw the line about where you can discriminate against religious organizations and where you can't? What's the overarching principle? Um, some pretty tough questions uh, along those lines. But yes, uh, for the most part, he was a, a relatively quiet observer today. Well, what about uh, Justices uh, uh, Ginsburg or Sotomayor or Breyer or Kennedy? What was their line of questioning? Yeah, so um, Justice Sotomayor, as I mentioned uh, perhaps a little bit earlier, she raised the Blaine Amendment issue um, basically uh, suggesting that this should be some def- – we should provide deference to these Missouri state constitutions based on the historic precedent, um, really c- trying to tie that into a Locke v. Davey type of an argument. Um, Justice Ginsburg – let me think. She raised Emerson, a case which is decades and decades and decades old. But again, you know, the more the more recent precedent is very clear under the free exercise clause that you know religious hostility just doesn't cut it. You know, the Smith case, the Lakumi case, and, and David Cortman, counsel for Trinity Lutheran, responded mentioning these cases and saying, look, they're they're quite clear that one cannot discriminate against religious entities based simply upon their religious status. That's something that the free exercise clause cannot stand for. Um, Justice Breyer was quite entertaining uh, when he was questioning uh, counsel for the other side for the state of Missouri. Um, he had a, he, He's a very expressive justice, and he posed him a number of hypotheticals related to, again, the logical outworkings of the state of Missouri's argument that, well, can you deny churches and mosques access to fire and police protection? You know, that was, that was kind of a recurring theme. You know, what if um, the state of Missouri issues fire extinguishers to churches? Does that mean churches can no longer have religious exercise inside their building because, you know, we might be incidentally supporting and helping them. So anyway, uh, very interesting questions, but again, just did not seem to be buying the arguments of the state of Missouri that even though they recognize there are no establishment clause violations um, associated with giving this scrap tire reimbursement grant to religious organizations, uh, they, they can't really fall back on this hypothetical, well, what if there were some establishment clause concerns and, and try to use that as a shield uh, to justify overt religious discrimination. Well, what about Justices Thomas, uh, Kennedy, and Chief Justice Roberts? Where did they, what was their demeanor? Yeah, Justice Thomas was quiet, uh, as per as uh, pr- pretty much per usual. Uh, he's reportedly not a, a huge fan of oral argument. Um, Chief Justice Roberts asked a couple of questions. Um, I really appreciated Justice Kagan's line of questioning. Again, she seemed a little bit skeptical at the outset, um, had, had framed some of her questions um, more from the posture of, well, should we be giving tax revenue to churches? But really by the end, um, again, her questions to the opposing side were, were pretty tough and direct. And again, she was asking things related to where are you going to draw the line if you say that you can't under the free exercise clause overtly blatantly discriminate against religious organizations you know what can you not exclude them from well where do we go from here uh as you as you mentioned that it's probably not going to be ruled uh, until hopefully uh, late late june uh what's the adf going to be doing with the case on this I, i'm asking largely as a journalist because i want to know what i where i can expect <laughs> updates and things like that and who i can Certainly. talk to <laughs> Makes yeah, my boss is happy. 
Well, you know, at this point, the hard work is done. The case has been argued and submitted to the United States Supreme Court for consideration. So we're really just in a holding pattern at this point. And we'll wait with bated breath until uh, the end of June, most likely when we anticipate receiving that full opinion. But in the interim, um, you and your listeners are more than welcome to visit playgroundcase.com. That is our website devoted to the Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia case and lawsuit. And that's what we'll be providing updates as they arise. Okay, that's playgroundscase.com, correct? Playgroundcase.com, that's correct. Okay, we'll be keeping up on that. Uh, we're coming into the closing minutes here. Uh, anything that you would like to add? Anything that you'd care to uh, tell our audience? Again, I just want to reiterate, it was a very encouraging day at the United States Supreme Court. We're extremely thankful um, for that, you know, for the Lord's favor, what appears to be the favor of the Lord with the, the justices. Um, but we're also just so grateful for the courage of churches like Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia. You know, this was not an endeavor that they undertook lightly, and, you know, churches generally don't. This is a very serious endeavor to file a lawsuit against your state um, and to put yourselves out there like that. And so just so appreciate their courage and being willing to take a stand and to push back and say no, um, not just for our own good, but for the good of our neighbors and as well. We want to ensure that our governments treat all people of faith fairly, neutrally, and equally. And so just so appreciate their courage and standing up and really the support of the entire LCMS community. Um, they've ex uh, the church has expressed to me, the clients have expressed to me how much they appreciate the support within their own denomination for this endeavor. So um, just uh, yeah, want to echo that as their counsel. We couldn't do this without the strong backing of the church community as well. And we are deeply appreciative of organizations like the Alliance Defending Freedom who's willing to take up the, uh, the cause for us. And it's, it's your, your work is invaluable. Well, it's certainly our pleasure to do so. We couldn't do what we do uh, without courageous clients and without ministry friends who come alongside and, and pay for the free services that we provide to the body of Christ. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty education and awareness program. Now, Free to Be Faithful airs the third Wednesday of every month. Today's guest was Christiana Holcomb of the Alliance Defending Freedom. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings.